Hello, and welcome to an episode of Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB. This past week, it was a very, very busy week. And this is my day off after that whole thing. And it was food and wine. Food and wine classic in Aspen. This happens every year. And this past food and wine was the 40th anniversary. So it was even bigger. I mean, it's always big. Like last year, it was big. And it always falls on my birthday which means it's crazy and I don't get off. My first food and wine was when I was working as a pastry chef at the Parker Hotel in Palm Springs. What happens is you have these tents and inside the tents you have all these different vendors from hotels, from companies, anything. You know, obviously from wine vendors, from whiskey, from tequila, vodka, you name it. And then you have the restaurants, the local restaurants, you have the local hotels, and everybody gives a sample. You know, they all want their name out there. At the Food and Wine in Palm Springs, I did a dessert. I believe it was a panna cotta. This was back in 2013, so it was a while back. And at the end of it, they gave a prize to everybody's favorite, and it was the panna cotta. So, oh, it was a it was a Moscato panna cotta, I remember. And I won the prize. And I think it was just like a certificate and a wine glass, something like that. Last year was a food and wine again, and this was in Aspen. And I, I started at the hotel here in Aspen last year. And I just remember it being crazy, first of all, because I started and you have to get settled in, everything else that's going on in the hotel. And this year was the same. It was crazy but a little less crazy because now I've settled in I know everything that's going on in the hotel and then this was like the next big thing so what was different or I guess last year was a big whiskey dinner which is the same again this year I didn't pay too much attention about anything else just because there wasn't time so there are always panels and interviews and things like that. So last year, I just went to the tents. There's an east and a west tent, and they're just filled with vendors. And then basically, you try some of everything. And last year, it was my birthday, and I went to the food and wine tents. And I just felt so off afterwards because the tents are just very large, and there's a lot of people. You have all these samples. You know, you have savory samples, you have dessert samples, you have wines and all these other drinks. So as you're walking through, you grab one of everything, as much as your hands can carry, which isn't a lot, you know, but, but you basically eat a bit of everything and it's not like an order. So I'm gonna have, let's say, you know, a piece of steak with a dessert, with bread, like it, it's just everything and then cheese, there's no order to it. So then afterwards, I always feel off. So this year, I had a bit more control, and I knew, okay, if I eat that, I'm not going to feel great. Especially if you have, like, a trout dip or, you know, something super savory in the morning. You know, let's say it's, like, 11.30 a.m. I'm like, mm, I'm probably not going to have that trout dip right now, you know? <laughs> so this year, I went to panels, which I loved, Bobby Flay was in town. I guess he hadn't been in town doing the food and wine for the past 10 years. And he was there. He did a demo. It was a black squid ink pasta with tomato sauce and a couple of seafood pieces. I think it was shrimp in the tomato sauce. And that went for an hour. And it was just nice, you know, to 
hear them talk and their stories and their advice on the best way to make everything. And then afterwards I went, I walked to the back because I had to get something from one of the events and I saw him. I said, you know, chef, nice to meet you. You know, I'm Chef Cat, the pastry chef here. He had said gelato is his favorite thing. I said, if you want some gelato, you know, I have some. But he seemed a little, I don't know, he just wanted time with his girlfriend who was standing in the back. And I don't think he wanted to be bothered, which I understand. That's fine. You know, he was very nice, but I could tell, okay, he like wanted to leave. Later that day, Guy Fieri did a demonstration, which was so funny. He was hilarious. He just started his own brand of tequila. He was um, really pushing that. He made this strawberry tequila drink with strawberry puree, and it was really good. He handed everything around, you know, so you could taste. And then he made these trash can nachos, which he called trash can, which basically he put in a mini kind of tin shaped in a mini trash can and he filled it with all these layers but because we're in Aspen and it's high end he did a lobster uh, trash can nacho which was layers of nacho chips with like a Mornay sauce where he made a roux and basically added a bunch of cheese in it so it's like this cheesy sauce and then he alternated it with lobster it looked pretty good you know, but he, the stories he told was just really funny and it was nice to hear him. I've seen him on all these shows throughout the years. Same with Bobby Flay. So growing up, when we first moved to the U.S., there were so many channels on TV. In England, when I lived there, we just had regular TV. It was four channels. So now we're in the U.S. and there's a whole station just for food and that's Food Network. I couldn't get enough of it. I watched it all the time. I'm thinking, oh my God, this is so crazy. I can just watch food shows all day. And I did, you know, next to Giada De Laurentiis and Barefoot Contessa, like I watched all of them, including Guy Fieri and Bobby Flay. Oh, and also Paula Deen. Yeah, I would watch her stuff too. You know, and for a while I thought of, that would be awesome to have a Food Network show, you know, or have my own cooking show. That's just always something that was in the back of my head. So then to see these panels live, you know, to see Bobby Flay and Guy Fieri doing their demos was so cool. And I really appreciated it. So that this year, I really liked that side of the food and wine to just listen, to see what they're making and all of that. So the food and wine goes from June 16th through the 18th. On the 18th, Justin Chappelle, I think that's how you say his last name, he did a demonstration and he works for food and wine. He's one of the largest, I guess, like food recipe creators. Basically, I had to make these cheese twists and this summer soup. So he made those as a demonstration and then he wanted everybody to try it. I days before, prepped everything with my team, and we made it, except for in the recipe, we ran out of a couple of things. Like there was creme de cassis in the recipe, but we ran out, so I added sherry. I did change the recipe a little bit. I tweaked it because of things that I ran out of. It's a summer soup. We served it in a rocks glass, and then we put a couple of fruits on top, like a cherry, grape, 
raspberry. It's served with a cheese straw. Those are both the things he's demonstrating. So I sit in and they're serving all of this maybe like in 15 minutes. There were 130 that I prepped of everything. I'm sitting in and he's just in starting to talk. He's saying, you know, we'll have you try the summer soup. And he, he explained it a little bit. And then he said, there's some sour cream on top. And I'm like, what? There was no talk of sour cream anywhere. So I'm like, crap, I have to go and get sour cream. So I ran up and I got my assistant and I said, we have to put sour cream on all of these. So we quickly did. And thank goodness we got it done in time. But it was just funny because I thought, here I am. Okay, it's all done. If I hadn't have sat in in this demonstration, I wouldn't have known. And anyway, I'm sure it wouldn't have been an issue, but still, you know, you want it to be what he's saying it will be. So that went well, even though I think ours was a little different than what he demonstrated. <laughs> but I was looking around and people were eating it. So I'm like, okay, maybe this isn't, you know, so bad. But I was very hypersensitive about it. Manit Chauhan was also there. She is an Indian chef on Food Network. And she did a demonstration with all these different Indian breads, which I loved. And I know I've mentioned that I love Indian food because when I was growing up in England, we went to an Indian restaurant maybe every other week, a lot. And it was right down the street from our house, maybe a five minute drive. We would eat so many things. And I just grew up loving Indian food. And when I visited India in Bangalore, Years ago, I tried all these different cuisines and breads and I loved it. So her making puri and kulcha, and kulcha is a stuffed bread, which was delicious because at the end, people who were close to the front, which I was, um, we could try the breads. It was so good. She also made a stuffed bread with peas and carrots, like an Aspen version. <laughs> It was so good. And I loved seeing all the different kinds because she made naan, which is with a little bit, I think she made it with yeast, with yogurt. And then she made another bread without yeast and just to show the different styles. Anyway, it was an excellent demonstration. And Bobby Flay sat in on that one too. But I love how she explained everything. And she was just so personable. And then there was a whiskey dinner which happens every year f around food and wine. And it's basically five course dinner and dessert at the end. So this year I did a cherry cheesecake popsicle. I glazed it in this mirror glaze, which has balsamic in it. It was served with a pink peppercorn sorbet. And I did a pink peppercorn gluten-free streusel because there's always a gluten-free person that's, you know, uh, sitting in on the dinner. Had a little bit of chocolate mousse, which went really well with the cheesecake, which is very Black Forest-ish. The combination of cherries, chocolate, always goes well. Because I was testing, because we also made a lavender ganache with white chocolate and an Earl Grey milk chocolate ganache for other things. And I thought, okay, maybe I can use those flavors, but they're overpowering with the cherry. And funnily enough, chocolate works best. I mean, that's why it's a classic, right? You know it's going to work, the Black Forest. And then there was another event. It was called like a Top Chef event where a few of the top chefs that have won over the years, or maybe it was last season. I don't know. I don't watch 
Top Chef anymore. I watched it when it first came out. I actually auditioned for it in LA. You have to do multiple interviews. And I got through to the third interview. And this was back in 20. When was it? Like 2010, 2011, something like that. I was living in Arizona at the time and I drove to LA for this audition. I had my dessert planned, which was a berry crostata. I remember that. And I had these different components. I don't remember what they were, but the whole combination tasted really good. And it got me through to the third round, like the third round of interviews. And there was a panel of five people. And this one lead guy asked me, do other people think you're a bitch? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, no, <laughs> which is funny because I did work as a pastry chef in Palm Springs. And that's when people actually thought I was a bitch, you know, which is this is so messed up because if you're a female chef, you're called a bitch. But if you, you know, and that's just if I'm asking people to do things, if I'm giving orders, so to speak, I mean, you have to get things done. So if I say in a certain tone, oh, then I'm a bitch. But if you have a male chef oh, he's just, that's just the way he is. You know, like it's accepted. But if you have a tone with a female chef, oh, now you're a bitch, which I'm like, okay, that's, uh... anyway, I said no, which now I would say yes, definitely. But it's so, they just want to create drama, really, you know? And these shows are totally about drama. But anyway, after that, I was cut from the interviews. I'm like, okay. And that was my first kind of cooking show audition. And I did a few more over the years. I still haven't gotten on a cooking show, which is fine. You know, all in good time. <laughs> so anyway, there was this Top Chef event happening at the hotel here. I was off the day they came into prep, but I had ordered fresh cherries and cherry puree for the whiskey event because I was making these cherry cheesecake popsicles. The top chef, who I guess won last season, I won't name names, but he used the cherry puree I ordered for me. Nobody told me to order cherry puree, so it was purely out of luck that we had cherry puree. Anyway, he used like all of it and he didn't need, like he had four quarts left. He used all of it. And he used all of my fresh cherries, which I ordered for the cheesecake. Basically, he did these foie gras cherries. So he had these molds that looked like a mini cherry, but he filled it with foie gras and then dipped it in this cherry puree and glazed it and put like a stem on it and he used this bowl of cherries, fresh cherries, and he put a couple of his foie gras, like cherries inside of the bowl, you know, to use the fresh cherries as background. 
But I was so annoyed because they ended up throwing away the fresh cherries and then I didn't have any and I never even ordered them for him. I was never told, order him fresh cherries. I didn't even know. So anyway, I was super annoyed. And on top of that, they dirtied the kitchen. So this top chef was prepping in pastry and he made a complete mess with all the cherry puree. It was on the walls, on the table, and he never even cleaned up after himself. Like, okay, I guess on the show, you don't have to clean up after yourself, right? It's timed. Like you do the competition and then you have all these people clean up after you. But hello, I mean, I'm sure... And also, if you've been on these competitions, you've been in a kitchen environment. Like, you know to clean up after yourself. Like, that's the first thing you're taught in culinary school. And you even get graded on your cleanliness and how you clean up. You're supposed to clean up gradually. You don't just make a mess of a hundred things. You know, you clean as you go. Like, that's what you're taught. Anyway, I guess once you get on these shows, that's it. Like, you don't you don't clean up after yourself anymore like you're such a diva like (laughs) i'd like to think if i get on one of these shows or if something should happen right like fame wise that i would still have respect for the places that i'm cooking even as a guest and clean up after myself i mean yeah i'm gonna say that if if that ever happens i'll still clean up after myself like even when i've gone for job interviews You get flown in for tastings. I clean up after myself. That's it. That's what you do. Anyway, this top chef didn't do that at all. Everything was dirty. He used all my stuff. And on top of that, there was another top chef. She made like some buttermilk, I don't know, some buttermilk sorbet, something like that, or buttermilk ice cream. And she used up all my Paco Jet canisters. So then I didn't have any to spin anything. Okay, a Paco Jet is the opposite of an ice cream machine. An ice cream machine, you put liquid in, you put your ice cream base in, you can put anything that's liquid into an ice cream machine and it'll freeze. You could put soda in there and it'll come out as Coca-Cola ice cream, you know, whatever. But a Paco Jet is different because you have to put the frozen item in and it churns it, and then it comes out as your ice cream or sorbet. It's a step further because you have to plan ahead because your product has to be frozen fully before you can spin it. It's fine if you do small amounts of ice cream. It's annoying if you need large batches because then you're always thinking, okay, I'm low on ice cream base. I need to make more, but it has to be frozen. You have to take into account an extra day. This is fine. This is normal. This is a normal thing in pastry is planning like five days out with everything that has to be done. This is why my brain is always in planning mode because I'm literally always just planning. You know, when do I have to make this custard? When do I have to make this mousse? You know, everything's just planning because if I make if I make a layered cake or an entremet, you know, you have to plan your entremet with the inserts. The inserts have to be made before you put it in your entremet. So everything is just days out. Where's it going with this? Anyway, so this top chef used all my canisters for the Paco Jet and she filled them all with her base. Next thing I know, I come into work, I'm told by the sous chef that the Paco Jet is not working. I'm like, what? Like, I just used it yesterday. It's fine. And he says, well, something went wrong. Like, it's not working. So he said, just keep it turned off for a while. 
Like, I'm like, okay, I don't think that's going to do anything if you just leave it turned off. You know how, like, when you complain about something to um, a cable company, that's, that's the first thing they say is turn it off and turn it back on again, which that can work. But that's, I mean, that can't be, that can't be the only solution you suggest, right? Like, is that a solution for everything? No, <laughs> that's all people ever say. Oh, just turn it off and on again. Meanwhile, I've already done that, you know, with the cable company like five times. I'm like, I've already done it. And then they're like, just do it again. I'm like, oh my God. And then if I do it and then it actually works, then they're like, okay, thanks. Bye. And I'm like, ah, like that can't be the actual problem anyway. Same thing with the pocket jet. Just leave it turned off for a while. And I'm thinking, okay, no, I'm going to look at this thing. I look at it and I ask the chef, can I see the canister? You know, obviously I don't have any others because you use them all. I didn't say that. And, uh, <laughs> and the first thing I say is it's too high. Like she put the liquid in way too high. So there's no space for the actual blade because the blade has to be put in there. And she's like, no, it's not. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking, yes, it is in my head, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to have attitude. I mean, I probably already do have attitude, but I'm like, okay, let me demonstrate. So I put it in, I put the blade in and EE shows up like it's not working and it's blinking. I'm like, okay, it's too full. Take out three scoops and let's try it again. And she's like, okay. So she takes out scoops. I put the blade in. Hello, it's working. You overfilled it. Like, this is number one. I'm like, did you fill all of these this high? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, you got to take them out of all of them. So that was the thing. And then, so she spun them, put them all in molds. But I guess her sugar content was too high. And also that day was super hot in the kitchen. Like, there were all these guest chefs. And they were all doing stuff in the kitchen. So every time somebody said, yes, chef or chef, like in our kitchen, there's already five chefs. We have a breakfast chef. We have a banquet chef. We have a sous chef. We have a dinner chef on the line. So already, you know, every, when everybody says chef or yes, chef, like I'm always turning my head. I'm like, okay, are they talking to me? And anyway, that day there were even more chefs, like five more chefs. So, so you know that saying, uh, there's too many chefs in the kitchen. Well, definitely there were, there were over 10 chefs in the kitchen. So when anybody ever said chef or yes, chef, I'm like, Oh my God. Like <laughs> I was constantly turning my head. And anyway, so there was so many chefs in the kitchen and just so much going on that the refrigeration and the freezers, they were overworked because a day prior, my freezer was getting way too high. The kitchen was so hot that when you open the freezer, because I don't have a walk-in in between, it goes straight into the freezer. The temperature in there was getting too warm. And then I left and then my staff, I guess they noticed that it was too high and they moved all of the ice creams downstairs into another freezer, which is already crazy in there. Anyway, all of this happened. And then the top chef put her ice cream in the molds and the sugar content was too high and they weren't coming out clean. And also the freezers, they just weren't getting cold enough. You know, it was just taking too long. What ended up happening was the top chef who made all that cherry mess, he started canelling. He's like, I'll just make canals 
out of the sorbet. So he was in my freezer making canals and the temperature was just too high. And I said, you can't, you can't do this in here. So I showed him another freezer, the banquet freezer. It has a walk-in in between, so it gives it some buffer so it can be colder. I said, do it in here. <laughs> I was like, just get out of pastry. I didn't say that, but in my head, I'm like, I can't handle all this stuff going on in my area. Because already I have four assistants. We were busy, you know, there were all these events going on. So we were doing that stuff. And then we have dinner service for plated desserts. And then there's these top chefs, you know, making all this mess and using the freezer and whatnot. I'm like, I can't, I can't handle this. So I said, okay, let me show you this other freezer. <laughs> so, so they went over there and that was it for the night. I was like, thank goodness they're out of my area because the pastry area I have is fine. The goal is that we make everything, that we don't buy things ready-made. Pastry chefs are kind of on their way out. You know, there's a lot, especially after COVID, there's a lot of hotels and a lot of places that don't even have pastry chefs anymore. You know, back in the day, if you look at old school France, they have all these different areas because there's so much to know in pastry. You know, you've got your chocolate section, which that part of the kitchen has to be climate controlled because it has to be nice and cool. Preferably you have marble so that you can temper everything and do all your chocolate decorations. You've got your gelato section, which is also climate controlled. And that's where you spin your ice creams, that where you have your ice cream machines. You have your bread section, which obviously that area is warm. And you have your proof boxes, which is funny because I have a person He's great at breads. You know, he does a great job. I'm really excited because this season I have a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge and uh, it makes my job easier. It makes me stress less, which I'm excited about because what happens here, I'm like telling story after story, but Aspen is out of the way. So we don't have permanent people in the kitchen. There's not a lot of local people that work at the hotel. So we have to get J1, uh, which are basically students. You know, they say they have knowledge in, in the field, like for example, pastry, but then they show up and they're not as knowledgeable as you might think, you know, but they pay a lot of money to get this visa. And then for them, it's an experience and they also learn. So every six months I have new J1. Basically I'm always teaching. So it's exhausting for me. And it's also just exhausting to always have a new crew, you know, because I'm always having to show them how to do certain things. And there's culinary basics. You know, when you go to culinary school for pastry, there's things that you have to know. Like you have to know how to make pastry cream. The first thing, I think that's the first thing I made next to like cookies, you know, the creaming method. You have to know creme anglaise. You know, you have to know pâte sucre, which is a sugar dough. You have to know pie dough. I mean, there's just certain things that are a must and that you learn right off the bat. So if somebody says make pastry cream, you're like, yeah, chef. I shouldn't have to say anything else. But then I get people that they've never made it before. I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, and I have to go through and explain which it's fine, but I have to basically be patient 
and that is hard for me. I'm not a patient person. So where was I going with this? Currently, I have a few people that are more knowledgeable, which is exciting. And I have a person who makes bread and he does a great job. He's used to having more technology. Okay, so where I work, it's a luxury hotel. The kitchen is not luxury. You know, everything else in the hotel is being remodeled, brand new. This building is old, but you know, they're trying to keep it up to date. And then of course you have the kitchen, which it'll probably never be remodeled. You know, it's just like, that's just so typical for people who work in the kitchen. That's fine. But anyway, I don't have proof boxes. I don't have all this technology. I don't have tempering machines. You know, I don't have a climate controlled area. I just have one room and that's where I'm supposed to do everything. And of course, when you have chefs, they just expect me to do it all. Okay, I can, but it makes certain things more challenging. Like if I'm using the oven, I can't temper chocolate because the room is gonna be warm. And just things like that. Like I'm used to not having technology. I've worked in places where I've had technology, you know, but then I'll go to the next job and I'll just have an oven, which I have to share with the savory side which in the past I've had arguments with chefs because I'll be making macarons and baking them in the oven and then they'll open it. I'm like, don't open the oven. And then they're like, how, how are we supposed to bake our things? I'm like, well, you have to wait. I'm making macarons. Like those are the most sensitive things ever. You can't open the oven, you know, and then we'll have a full on, full blown argument in the middle of the kitchen because he's wanting to put bacon in the oven while I'm baking French macarons. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, this is what pastry deals with no matter where I go. And every pastry chef knows it. You know, you know it. So anyway, this assistant is used to having proof boxes and all this other stuff. So his bread wasn't coming out the way he wanted it to, the way he knew, you know, and is used to it coming out. And I was giving him tips on how to proof if you don't have a proof box, you know, because I'm used to not having technology. <laughs> like I'm used to doing things the hard way, which if you have a proof box, if you have a tempering machine, if you have all these things, that's great. You know, and they make your job so much easier and you can do so much more, so much faster. But it's also good to know how to have a kitchen that has nothing and how to make things happen and not have this technology. In the end, you have to know the temperatures to temper at. You have to know what to look for when something's ready to be baked from proofing. Yeah, that's just part of it. You know, you have to know how to make things happen even if you don't have the technology. Because someday I'm gonna have a store. I know it, I feel it. <laughs> and I probably won't have a proof box or a tempering machine at first, you know, and I still wanna make things happen and make money and sell things. So I'll be able to do that because I know how to do this without having technology based on all of my years of experience in all these places that say they're luxury, but then they don't have luxury items. So back in this old school kitchen, you know, the traditional French pastry kitchen, you had all these different rooms for all these different areas of pastry. But nowadays everything's expected to be all in one and you just can't do it. You know, so a lot of things are bought. For example, when I worked in Palm Springs, 
I would buy chocolate because the kitchen was over a hundred degrees. It was insane. Like we would just drink water and we put some fruits in there like orange and cucumber and add some salt so that we would sweat less. Like it was that hot in the kitchen, like that we would retain the water in our bodies. It was so hot. In that instance, I couldn't temper anything and I would buy it, you know? So especially during COVID, a lot of these companies and hotels, they would buy all this ready-made stuff, you know, and then they would plate it because from a chef's perspective, not everyone orders dessert. I mean, I do. But, you know, if you have like a five course meal, you have all these other courses. By the time you get to dessert, you're probably full. So that is probably a course that people would pass on. You know, and that's how hotels or restaurateurs would see it. But the pastry department is not that important. You know, pastry has so many details. Everything is time consuming. So if they're going to cut something in the kitchen, that's what's going to be cut first. So these days, less and less kitchens have a pastry chef. Yeah, it's an art that's really on its way out which is a shame because then you have people who don't even know how to make pastry cream and then they buy that horrible pre-made powder stuff where you just add milk to it, <laughs> which just isn't the same. The chefs think that pastry is easy. Oh, just whip it up. Just do it. it. No problem. Just do it right now. And I'm like, okay, this needs planning. This needs timing. Nobody understands. I feel like I'm always just on my own in the kitchen. It was funny because I was talking to another guest chef who was in pastry. I feel like they said something like how I have clipboards in the kitchen. I'm like, um, what, you don't? You don't have clipboards? Because I need something on paper. You know, I need to see physical events so that I can plan. I don't know. It's just something about making lists and checking it off. I have all these lists and I have to check them off and I feel accomplished when I check them off. So I said, yes, we have clipboards. I need clipboards and it's an old kitchen. Anyway, they were saying the same thing that they still have clipboards, but I guess some kitchens are very modern. Maybe they have an iPad, like, I don't know. They were saying how one of the chefs had worked in France. The pastry department didn't even talk to the rest of the kitchen. I totally understand. I totally understand because the rest of the kitchen doesn't, they just don't understand. Like a chef thought that puff pastry was the same as croissant dough. No, it's not. Like it's completely different. It's made in a different way. Yes, it's viennoiserie. Like it has all these different layers of butter in between that you, you know, get your layers because of the steam of the butter when you bake it. But no, croissant dough is not the same thing as puff pastry. You know, like, that's just one example. I feel outside of the team. There's just so many things sometimes that I'm always feeling like they're ready to pounce on me for critiques of something. I don't know. And I, I never feel fully comfortable in the kitchen saying that I'm part of the team. Like, yes, I'm part of the team, but I always feel like an outsider because I just don't think that chefs understand pastry. You know, they just expect all these things to happen, but they don't know the work behind it. And then the chefs will be like, oh, I've worked in pastry for like a month. 
but I wasn't patient enough. You know, I'm like, okay, so just because you worked in pastry for a month, now you know everything about pastry and that you can feel like you can come in and tell me what to do. For example, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, anyway, the, now it's just me venting about the other side of the kitchen. But everybody who works in pastry, you know what I'm talking about. Back to the point at hand. Food and wine week was crazy. I just now had a day off and I went hiking to Maroon Bells. You know, and people ask me, where do I get the energy? I don't know. <laughs> but honestly... This is what I love about Aspen. Yes, the hotel is a lot of work, but this town is small. It's so easy to just go on a bike trail after work. Like for me, I get energy from nature, from doing stuff outside. And it's been so beautiful lately that when the sun is shining, I have to go out. I just have to. I've been putting off recording because it's been so beautiful that I'm like, I just have to go out. Like today, I'm going to go kayaking. I'm going to drive to a reservoir. So yesterday, I went hiking to Maroon Bells. It was so beautiful and perfect. There's so much nature around here, and I love it. It's so picturesque, and it just looks fake because it's so beautiful. You know, when I lived in New York, I would work in the city and then on my days off, I would just drive and go hiking. I'd drive for like over an hour to New Jersey or parts of upstate New York. But then you have all these people from the city because they all want to get out of the city too. So now I feel so lucky and also spoiled to an extent because Aspen is so out of the way from Denver or any major city. Like the other day after work, I went to this waterfall and I was the only person, you know, it was 8.30 and I went on this 40 minute hike after work before it got dark, you know, cause now it's the summer, it gets dark like 9.30 and I'm like, oh, let me just, let me just go on this quick hike up to this lake. And I do, and as I'm doing it, I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm also so happy that I get to do it. You know, I'm so close. I live so close next to all these rivers, these waterfalls that I can. You know, I'm so lucky. I don't have to drive over an hour just to get there. Like literally, I can get to all these rivers on my bike. Um, so I do this hike and I go up to this lake and it's Weller Lake off of Independence Pass. The mountains are mirroring on the lake and it's just this perfect reflection of the mountains and I'm thinking oh my god like this is amazing I think that's what gets me going just the excitement to see all this nature same with maroon bells you know you get to this lake on the bottom the main lake and then you walk up to crater lake and it's just unreal like the way the water is just shimmering and glittering from the sun it's amazing. And it just fuels me. Like I get energy from nature. And that's how I was in Switzerland too. You know, I was working and I was learning, but the work I was doing was pretty monotonous, you know, working in the factory. You know, there's there's certain things that are exciting, but then you learn it, you see the process, and then you go on to the next thing. So for like a minute, it's exciting, but then you do it for the rest of the week and it's monotonous, you know? So... For me to, to feel excitement, I would go out and hike up these mountains and I just would go all over and see everything. You know, that is exciting. I would use that knowledge from what I learned into 
the chocolatier job I had, you know, which was great. But I just feel so balanced when I get to go out and, you know, bike or do stuff outside and kayak. Like I have these inflatable kayaks. I bought them with my, was it so many X's ago, but <laughs> we used them so many times in Arizona and that, and now I have one and I brought it to New York. Like I've, I've brought it to like 40 different places. Really, I've used it that much and they're great. They're these inflatable kayaks and you just can't use it on rocky lakes or things like that, you know, uh, rivers. Because here there's more rivers than lakes. So I found a couple of reservoirs that I can use them on. But the summers just totally make up for the winters here. The summers are so beautiful. Everything gets green so fast. So when I went hiking to Maroon Bells, like the water right now, the waterfalls are crazy because there's so much water coming down from the snow from the top of the mountains. And the water is crystal clear. It's it's like the, the best water you could ever have. And of course, it's freezing cold. It's just melted snow, you know, but right now everything's melting like crazy. And there's so much water that these lakes are a lot higher than they normally would be, you know, and I'm just so grateful for the summers because they're so short. You know, I've set up my hammock outside. I've got all my plants outside. I just love the summers so much, which is why I love California. I love L.A. because it's, it's always 70, you know, but then they have water shortage, which here I don't have to worry about. You know, but I'm just trying to make the most of the summer because I know the winter is just like a few months away, <laughs> you know, which when the sun is out makes me want to be outside even more because I know the winter is coming and that is rough. The winter is rough. The Food and Wine Festival, it just made me appreciate the area because I got to use some passes and experience everything, which is funny because when these festivals happen, Aspen all of a sudden gets crazy crowded. And then you know when it's done because there'll be just a few people in town. It'll be crazy busy for a weekend. And then all of a sudden it'll be back to being quiet. But anyway, that was like my crazy busy week. And it aligned with my birthday, which on my birthday, I just had a couple of friends over and I made fondue. I bought some Emmentaler and Comte because Gruyere was a bit more pricey. And I made my own fondue, cheese fondue and chocolate fondue because I still have some bags of chocolate. So that was nice. You know, it was kind of like low key. I've been going biking a lot pretty much every day after work. Been seeing so many different animals on the trail. So one time I saw a bear and then today I was up by a creek. I'm just looking at the view Next thing I know, this moose pops out of the water, which I didn't even know they went swimming, but it <laughs> it popped out of the water, and I'm like, oh my god, it's a moose, and uh, and it's just eating the plants in the water. I'm not sure exactly, maybe the long grass or something, but I was just watching it for 10 minutes, and then on my way back in the river, I saw an otter, and then deer there's deer all over an elk like now it's i guess the migration season don't quote me on that i don't know but they're everywhere 
And it's crazy how many there are, but it's it's pretty awesome too. So now I just go biking and and see how much wildlife I can see in just 30 minutes. Thank you for listening to an episode of Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB, and until next time. And if you want to follow me on Instagram at Chef KB or on YouTube at Cat the Baker.